What's up, world? What's up, man? This is Dominic Felix with Cash Geeks. I connected with Pablo at a breakfast meeting a while back. I was super impressed with everything that he has to offer. And I think you should connect with him, too, because it's going to expose you to the world and it's going to open up doors like you've never thought before. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, In my walks, every man I meet is my superior in some way. And in that, I learn from him. This means every single person you ever interacted with has done something slightly different than every single other person and therefore has something to teach you. And you, my friend, have something to teach them. This means every conversation you have is both a chance to learn something and a chance to make an impact. Every networking event or conference you walk into is both a library and your stage. Your network is your personal Google and you are a part of everyone's Wikipedia. My name is Pablo Gonzalez, and I am your Chief Executive Connector. Follow me as we meet people in my walks. Find out what we can learn from them, what they've learned from others, and what made them want to connect so you can learn to gain and give value to others in all of your interactions. I am terrible at asking for stuff, but if you want to do me a favor, subscribe to the podcast. Let me know what you've learned from each episode, or at the very least, Hit me up if I can ever be of service or any kind of value to you. Now, without further ado, let's get connected. Welcome back to the Chief Executive Connector Podcast. I am Pablo Gonzalez, your host and Chief Executive Connector. And today, we got a very special guest with me today, my good friend, a guy who has continued to impress me from the moment I met him until now. First, it was his business acumen. Then it was his social media savvy. Then it was his event production abilities. Then his freestyle skills. But always throughout it, super nice guy, a family man, Brooklyn's finest, self-described as badass Dom from the launch room, lunch room, Dominic Felix. How are you, Dominic? What's up, Pablo? How you doing, man? Dude, I'm great, man. I'm great. I'm happy to I'm happy to get a chance to reconnect with you, man. Sweet, sweet. Thank you so much for having me on, man. I'm really excited to be a part of this podcast and try to give a just a boatload of value to everyone, man. Just, you know, ask away. I'm an open book, brother. I love it. I love it, man. And listen, you know, I want to get into I think you're a super impressive business guy. I want to get into how you're teaching people how to wholesale properties and all that stuff. But in my theory of relationship building, I, I tell people that the quickest way to create a connection with somebody is share a vulnerability and add value to someone's life, right? So I'd like to start with that. What are you struggling with these days? Dude, I, I like that question, man. I like popping off with that question because that really opens everything up. So I think one of my, my tough points, I mean, there, there's a lot of good points, right? Everyone wants to talk about what's working, what's good. No one wants to share that. But I think what's really tough and challenging for us is, is onboarding the right individuals um, for our company. That's probably one of our, our toughest struggle points. I mean, it's easy to, to put out ads for positions and, you know, get a, a boatload of resumes in and sift through them and interview. And, you know, a lot of people are going to tell you they want the job, but to get the, the right person for our culture fit um, is it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Not everyone fits in and there's so many ways to do it. And everyone has their recommended process. Um, but we're um, we're we're very selective, you know. We um, are than most people, 
because we want to get people in here. Um, for the most part, we've boiled it down to, you know, are these people really like us? And are they people of high integrity? And are, are they going to just fit into the flow? You know, it's almost like we're up to a point with hiring that we, we've tried everything out there. And it's almost at the point where you just want to throw everything away and just sit down and then have a conversation with the person and just see what they're truly all about. Right. And uh, do they fit in with us? Do, do they have strong aspirations? Um, are they people of high integrity? Uh, do they want to truly grow with the company? Do they have big goals? Um, do they love what we do? You know, do, are they interested in real estate? Are they interested in wholesaling? Do they have a desire to, to be a part of it? Not just to be a part of a growing company, but to be a part of the type of company that we are. Does it like, does it truly interest them? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. When I, when I hear you say people like us, I would self-describe that as somebody that would fit in your culture would number one, be super motivated, right? I see you and, and, uh, and Gonzalo and everybody that you bring together as guys that grind hard and make no excuses. I see a team that has an ability to have fun while working hard and, 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 and be able to like turn that switch and not take yourself too seriously at times. And Mm -hmm. then I, and, and and then I see the integrity piece. I see you guys really, really working the relationship piece and, and taking that really seriously. Is that, is that kind of what you're looking for? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we, we have, um, we have a list of core values and what we're working on doing right now is really um, reminding everyone about what those core values are and implementing that into our hiring process and hiring based around the core values. Because what we found is that when we, when we don't practice studying them or talking about them or incorporating it into our interviews, um, you know, we kind of lose getting the right people that fits in with the team. And when we base our interviewing around the core values, we start getting more of the right people and it works out way better for the long term. You know, we're getting a, a bunch of really good um, long term team players on the team because we hire based on the core values that we truly believe in. That's cool, man. That makes a lot of sense. I, you know, I, I see. Um... I see Greg and them doing that at a really high level, right? Like they, they have this, um, they have this like multiple stage interview process that they, mm-hmm. you got to sign off with a lot of people. And then the thing that I see that might, you know, I don't know if you're already doing this, but they have this like weekly meeting where it starts off with a core values call out. It starts off with the opportunity to stand up and acknowledge somebody else in the room for upholding the core values at some point uh, in the last week. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's been, that might be a cool little feather in the Oh, cap. dude. I mean, yeah, man, that, that's incredible. We have a lot of respect for uh, Greg and, and all those guys at JWB. We look up to them kind of as, um, you know, we, we don't really have a close relationship. I mean, they are a phone call away, which is yeah. cool. Um, but we don't, we're not like friends where we go out on weekends or anything like that. But we'll still consider them mentors in a way. You know, they, they are paving the way for people that want to grow and scale a successful real estate company. Um, so a lot of things that they do, you know, are things that we would test in our own operation. But then again, alternatively speaking, if you look at, you know, a social media monster like Gary Vaynerchuk, 
And he says, when a guy comes up to him on a street and they have a two minute conversation, he can hire that guy right off the spot without going through all those uh, multi-level steps. So, I mean, I don't think there's really a wrong way. to do it. I think you just have to do it in a way that you believe in it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And Gary talks a lot about like hiring fast and firing fast too, right? Like, cause there's, 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 the, there's the idea that as soon as you know that somebody doesn't fit, you, you move on that. Right. But anyways, I want to get to, I want to get to what you're talking about growing and scaling businesses, right? Like from the moment I met you, you kind of told me how you just skip, give me your, your origin story. And then we're going to get into what you've accomplished. Cause I think that you are, you're scaling a business that people thought was unscalable. And I think it's really interesting how you're doing it, but you also had scaled previous businesses before. So can you kind of give me your like episode one? Yeah, I mean, so basically, when people ask me, you know, what my background is, I just like to tell people that I'm just, I'm basically, you know, I don't, I don't have any, um, any college degrees. I've taken, I've done some college. Um, I've done fine, you know, in school. Um, I'm a relatively bright guy, I think. Um, but I'm just, I basically worked in call centers for almost ten years, um, and then, you know, I left the call center to go study to be a firefighter. Um, and then, you know, to, uh, to make up for the money that I was making in the call center, I started a lawn maintenance company. Um, and then, you know, I went on to building a, a different company from there, which I'll get into in just a second. But when people ask me about my background, I just basically tell them I'm a, um, a, a lawn maintenance call center rep. Basically that's, yeah. those are the skills that I've kind of based a lot of the way that I've built my businesses, um, off of, you know, a lot that I've learned just working hard day in and day out. So, so I'm used to hard long days. Um, and then, you know, the call centers are very, very structured, you know, they've got management level, frontline level, quality assurance, um, you know, verbal sales skills on the phone, stuff like that. That was all around me. So it kind of, you know, in a weird way, gave me the, the tools, um, that I needed to, to kind of base the structure of my businesses off of. Um, so, you know, long story short, just to kind of sum all of that up, I basically, when I went to study to become a firefighter and I left the call center, um, I started a lawn maintenance company and I quickly realized, um, you know, if I was going to become a firefighter, I needed to make up the difference in the money that I was making from the call center. I think as a sales rep in the call center, I was making like $70,000 a year. And if you're going to become a firefighter here in Jackson or Clay County, uh, you know, you're probably going to start off at 30,000 or somewhere in the late twenties. And, uh, that's why I started the lawn maintenance company. So I can make up the difference. And the cool thing was, as I was waiting to be called as a firefighter, supplement my, my salary in just a matter of weeks, you know, I think I picked up very quickly. I picked up like 60 lawn maintenance, uh, clients, uh, which supplemented my, my salary from the call center. And then I got like the, the taste, the entrepreneurial taste of what it's like to build your own thing. And then I realized like I can, I can scale things. I can build things on my own um, without having to work inside of limitations um, as an employee. Not that there's anything wrong with that. There's opportunities there as well. Um, but it kind of made me feel different, kind of made me feel like I could truly build some great things, even though I hadn't done them yet. When you went into, when you went into the lawn service field, did you immediately like set up your own like mini call center kind of operation to grow that? Or did you grow that by like doing somebody's lawn and then they referred you because you're a good worker or, or how did that, how did that grow so quickly for you? 
So what happened was I, I started the lawn maintenance company. It was, it was about 2007. And then, um, you know, I was cutting grass on a property that was next door to a property where a, a crew was working on this house, but they were doing work um, for banks. Right. And the work that they were doing on the banks were on foreclosed properties. Right. And I just had a conversation with those people and they said that they needed help with all the work that they need to do on their foreclosed homes because 2007, 2008, you know, foreclosures started really ramping up because of the crisis that we were all going through. Um, and then it just turns out that banks needed a lot of help maintaining foreclosed properties. So I wind up building my company more so into a foreclosure maintenance company um, and drifted away from just lawn maintenance. So we started turning into more of a foreclosure maintenance company, maintaining foreclosed homes for banks. Um, and then I started building it pretty quickly here in Jacksonville, Florida, and then other cities in Florida. And, you know, fast forward, you know, four or five years later, uh, we built it into a multi-state company. Um, and we were doing, I don't know, uh, upwards of 60,000 maintenance work orders a year. Um, we were in several cities across eight states. Uh, we had about 120 field crews working exclusively for my company. I mean, there's, there's a lot of detail inside of all that and on how that all came to, you know, fruition. Um, and then at that point, you know, as I grew that, it wound up going from, you know, working at a desk in my house into, into getting my first kind of office room in an office condo complex. And then, you know, getting a big open office area with cubicles and 30 employees, you know, that I've built gradually, um, you know, operations manager, management level people, assistant managers. Awesome. So am I, all right. So there's a couple of concepts here that I want to just touch on and then move into the next phase. Right. But is that, so did the idea of hmm, banks need this stuff and that's more of a dream customer instead of, you know, homeowner to homeowner, did that come from you're doing the lawn, the, the lawn care at a house, you walk next door, you see another crew and you just walk next over next door and said, Hey, what's up? What are you guys up to? And, and like, how did that, how did that conversation start with the crew next door? So the conversation with the crew next door, they look frazzled, busy, just running through the, the, the property quick. Like they had a lot on their plate. Um, and you know, I was just always a guy, I always had my eyes open, always engaged in conversations, always asked a lot of questions. So just by drawing eyes and saying, hi, you know, how you guys doing? Oh, you guys seem busy. You know, then the conversation sparked up and they said that they needed help. Right. Um, When they told me that they needed help, I said, you know, I'm wide open. What can I do to help? And then they said, let's have a meeting later or tomorrow. This is years ago. This is probably close to 15 plus years ago. So I don't remember exactly what was said, but it just so happened that we had a a meeting. Um, Actually, they blew me off. They blew me off on the meeting. And I followed up for like two weeks. I probably called six, seven, eight times throughout the course of two weeks. Um, And then we landed a meeting and, you know, they gave me a list of maintenance work orders. It's probably 20 or 30 maintenance work orders. Um, and the, the cool thing about it was a typical long cut would probably pay me an average of about 30 or 35 bucks for a long cut. Um, and the banks were paying like anywhere between 85 and $125 a long cut, which was ridiculously high. And it didn't make sense. Um, but I, I didn't call them to argue about it. You know, 
I, uh, you know, I helped them with it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So I was persistent and then I started working with them. Um, and then I, my capabilities grew quick. Um, and I was able to do way more than they were able to give me. And that's when I started going for the bank contracts directly. That's awesome. I mean, you're obviously a super skilled operator, right? But when, when I hear, when I hear what you're saying to me, it's like, you see somebody, the, the fact that you have that awareness to make eye contact, say hi to the person next to you leads to a conversation. Then obviously you had the stick to and then having the awareness that this is your, this is a, a better business model, right? Like this is a, a dream customer, and you can get way more work by marketing yourself as a foreclosure property maintenance person, as opposed to a lawn care guy and making that pivot, I think is, I think it's a really interesting thing. And it highlights kind of like the, like the category design concept that I'm, that I'm really kind of in like in love with these days. But so yeah, when you go from, so how do, all right. So you grow this thing, multi-state operation, you outgrow these guys that are sending you service orders. You have your like regional lawn care maintenance company that you've built. How do you transition into wholesaling and, and, and what you're doing right now? Right. So we, we grew it aggressively. If, if I had to make my best guess on where we were in that industry, I would guess that we were probably one of the top three largest uh, regional um foreclosure maintenance companies in the country at that point. And we grew up pretty quickly. And then we started seeing a plateau, right? So the reason we had so much inventory was because the, the economy was doing poorly, which is kind of bittersweet, right? Because we're doing really, really well when a lot of people are doing really, really poorly um, and struggling just because we're coming um, kind of coming off of the economic crisis that we had in 2008. So, um, so we started seeing a plateau because the economy started recovering. The inventory foreclosure started going down because people started doing better. Um, but our inventory w- was going down and it didn't matter how great we did or how well we were doing or how our, our scorecards look with our clients. You know, we're in the mid to high nineties consistently beating out our competition because the operation is tight. Um, if they didn't have the inventory to give, we couldn't continue to grow. So we, we plateaued for a little bit and then we started declining as far as the inventory and the, the amount of influx of, of work that we were able to take on because the, the client started running out of inventory and started exponentially going down. Um, so I started realizing really quickly that, that we had to pivot. We had to figure out what we're going to do next. Um, so I tried a, a good handful of things that a lot of people don't know about. Um, you know, I started picking up rental properties uh, I think I picked up somewhere between 20 and 30 rental properties, 25, 26, something like that. Um, and then I realized very quickly, you can spend a whole lot of money. Um, but I think I, I needed hundreds really to replace the um, the income that I was looking to replace from one business to the next. So I learned once I started getting 20, 25, you know, I'm kind of the type of guy that if it makes you know, some kind of sense as to where I'm not going to lose money at something, I'm going to try it out. And then I realized like, you know, I'm not going to be able to pivot as quick as I'd like to by buying rental properties. So, um, you know, I, I, st- I also started a property management maintenance company. Um, I didn't get into property man into, um, yeah, I didn't get into property management. Uh, I did get my, my real estate agent's license. Um, so I met with some other, um, brokers, 
Um, and because I didn't have the property management experience, they didn't really want to start a property management company. Um, so I didn't really kind of get approved to open one. I couldn't do it without a broker's approval. And I didn't really have those connections or kind of know any of those people that would just say, okay, let's go for it. Um, I was funny thing is Pablo man. I was never, um, a networking extrovert kind of a person. I was always super, super introverted didn't know a whole lot of people in town. I was kind of in my own shell, but I was just a workaholic and I knew what it took to get things done. Right. So I didn't have the connections to get to the right people that would approve me to open up my own property management company. So I decided to open up a property management maintenance company as to where we can do a whole lot of we've all of what we've already done inside the maintenance business that we've built. And one of the biggest issues property management companies um, what they face is, is maintenance or their maintenance work orders. It's kind of like a nightmare in this, in this kind of very unorganized for a lot of those companies. So we figured we can be the solution for that. Um, that was a whole kind of, you know, educational challenge that we'd have to, we'd have to basically, you know, we'd have to, in, we'd have to build something basically from, from scratch for them, something brand new, something that covers everything. Um, and we'd have to be able to sell it to them and market it and things like that. So there, it wasn't as, as simple as, um, you know, in the other, in the foreclosure maintenance company, I would basically contact two or three, uh, clients and just fight for their contracts. And they had the platform already ready to work on. I had kind of had to invent a new platform if I was going to build something new from scratch. So we did some of it, and it wasn't going to be a quick pivot. It would have, it could have been a thing, but it would have been long. Um, so I, while we were doing that, cause we did do it and we did get clients from it. We also opened a home warranty, company, which is kind of crazy. We opened a, a home maintenance warranty company and we wanted to do something that was a little bit different. And the thing is, I, I completely built this out and I have all of the back end workings of it and I can pick it back up because obviously we're talking now and I, I run a wholesale company. So this part is not operational, but the home maintenance warranty company, we wanted to do some things that other home maintenance warranty companies don't do, like a bunch of the small fixes. You know, a lot of them do the big fixes like um, plumbing, um, roofs, HVAC, you know, you can get warranties on all of that stuff. Uh, but no one really had a, an organized solution for the handyman fixes and all of the other little things that go wrong. So we've built out something made sense from a financial standpoint and we had investors involved. We started building and growing that thing. Right. But what we noticed about that company, and I'm not trying to point out all the problems here because there's problems, there's opportunities, you know what I mean? But what we've noticed with that thing is that was kind of a venture capitalist model that you're going to lose a lot of money for a really long time before you start turning a profit. Um, so it wasn't something that I was ready for even though it's a, it's a great idea and we still have it on the back burner, it wasn't a quick pivot to bring in a lot of income based on what my lifestyle was used to, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense, man. You know, I'm hearing in, in everything I'm hearing, I'm hearing you get, you know, number one, take rapid action on things, iterate through implementing things and having success implementing, but then your priority at the time seemed to have been, uh, 
cash flow at the moment while you are growing all these different operations. And it seems like all these different things didn't really, uh, weren't up to snuff on, 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 on what you needed at that time, right? Like it seems like all things that could have succeeded in time, but you definitely had a different priority that you were trying to get after. Is that kind of it? Yeah. So basically I was looking for most entrepreneurs for is the quickest way to make the most money possible. Right. And all of those operations would work, but none of them were a quick replacement compared to how quick the downturn was going for my other company. And then I, um, you know, since I was in and out of some of these different things, looking for the next thing that was perfect for me, you know, I started selling some of my rental properties off because I, I didn't want to keep and manage them. They were kind of taking up time that I didn't want to give to them, start selling them off. And that's when um, Gonzalo, who's my current business partner, you know, he raised money um, inside of a fund that was buying rental properties, which a lot of my properties fit the mold for or whatever the, the in the box, the numbers were for the fund that he's built, his investors. Um, and that's when I met Gonzalo and I was exposed to the wholesaling. Now, I knew about wholesaling. And, uh, and I've bought properties and I've got burned by wholesalers before. So I was always impressed with, with the model, the seller direct uh, purchasing model. Um, but when I looked into it, I knew how, um, how involved it was. And a lot of people, you know, misinterpret or don't anticipate everything that truly is involved selling. And I knew that it was a very involved um, type of company if you want to take it serious and, and truly work on scaling it. Uh, but when I met Gonzalo there was a, a solution to the missing part that would have brought me to build a wholesale company. Um, and it was past wholesale experience. Oh, there you go. So real quick, cause I know now not only have you built up this like wholesale empire of, of operations that you're doing and buying and selling homes, but you're also an educational platform. Can you, this isn't a real estate podcast, right? So can, can you kind of yeah. just break down what wholesaling is for, for our friend that's listening to us right now? Yeah. So wholesaling real estate is um, essentially building up a way to market to property owners directly um, to to work on purchasing your properties from them directly instead of from a realtor or from the MLS or anywhere on the market. Right. The, The concept is if you can market directly to a property owner before they've either thought or listed their property for sale, then you stand the chances of getting a better deal because it's basically just you and that person directly negotiating deal. And there aren't multiple people involved that can bid the price up so that you're paying as high as possible. The concept is to try to pay as low as possible and still at the same time, find fair grounds to help the, the homeowner or the seller out. So it sounds like to me that you're like in this perfect place, right? Because you, you, in the story that you've told, you're a quick action make deal, you know, make something happen quickly. And now you're looking for people that want to sell their home, but they don't want to take a long time. And you're trying to get in before it happens, make a quick deal, get the cash in the pocket, kind of like how you've been building your businesses forever. And then you go out and you find the, you find the buyer on the back end, right? That's kind of, that's basically what wholesaling is. Yeah. yeah that, that's basically what it is. You're marketing it direct to the seller. You're making a deal to buy the property. And while you're inside of your contract period, you adversely market to 
investors or buyers that would be interested in the discounted deal that you have so you can um, you know get the property or, or get the contract executed on the back end um, and then you have a fee in the middle of all that so just as an example for some of the listeners on here you know we can buy a property from a seller at fifty thousand and we can sell it to an investor at sixty or sixty five thousand we can make ten or fifteen thousand dollars on one deal. Um, and it can be a great deal for the investor because that property might be worth a, a hundred thousand or one hundred twenty-five thousand after they fix it up a little bit. So they can get it as a rental with some equity in it, or they can just fix it up and sell it to a homeowner on the market and get full retail value, which might be one hundred twenty thousand, one hundred thirty thousand, or something like that. I love it. It's that. a very, very rough example. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of drop shipping for for properties. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of people win there. I mean, the sellers in lots of cases, they're really motivated because of, you know, dramatic things that are going on in their lives. Like, I mean, they may be five, six payments behind on their property. They're about to lose it back to the bank. You know, we can slide in there really quickly. You know, we can purchase it from them. And one, you know, just a, a minute ago, they were in debt with, you know, nine or 10 grand behind in payments. But now instead of that, they didn't get a foreclosure. Plus we put ten to $20,000 in their pocket. Um, we win because we get our ten to fifteen thousand dollar fee inside of the transaction, and then the investor wins because uh, you know they they fixed it up, they sold it to a retail homeowner, uh, they made their profit, and now someone has a brand new house at the end as well, a happy homeowner. Awesome, awesome. And you guys, you know, I've since the moment that I that I met you, and I guess it was a little bit over a year ago, right? Well, we probably met in like February or March of last year. And you guys have been growing a ton, right? So I know that you have a lot of deal flow. I know that you guys have bought and sold, but you know, you kind of gave me a number at one point. Do you, do you kind of have like a rough number of properties that you guys have like bought and sold or overall dollar amount value, anything like that? Um, so I think last year we probably transacted about 135 um, wholesale deals. We're doing somewhere between 16 and 20 a month. I think we came into February, uh, I'm sorry, April uh, with, I think we have 25 deals in the pipeline to close this month. Um, Some are going to be problem properties, so they're all probably not going to close. But at the same time, it's still early in the month and we have more that we're contracting with investors. So hopefully it can be somewhere between 20 and 25 that we close this month. Um, You know, our deal size is somewhere, you know, the months vary of being 10,000 or 12 and 15,000 uh, per deal. So that can give everyone kind of an idea where we are. Yeah. That's a lot of revenue, man. And you have like somewhere around like 20 employees, something like that. Kind uh, of we've got 14. 14. Okay. Just yeah, visually. We've got 14. Yep. Cool, man. That's awesome. And that's all been in like a year and a half, right? Two years, a little bit. So um, we're two and a, we're just over two and a half years now. Awesome. Yeah. We're just over two and a half years now. Um, you know, the, the weird thing is, you know, it's not rare for someone to, to grow a business within two and a half to three years and build it up to 15 employees. But I, but I think from everything I'm looking at, it's very, very rare in wholesaling. Um, wholesaling, you know, you can compare a wholesaler in a way to, to a realtor. You know, you can have, you know, the, the sad thing is lots of realtors, you know, fail within the first year, over 50% fail in the first year. Um, and a lot of people don't know that, around 95% or more fail within five years. Um, but you have a lot of people that, that succeed and that do well. And, um, you know, they, they grow to be, 
you know, decent realtors, you have some rock star realtors, but a lot of times they're, they're performing as individuals, you know, they're performing as solopreneurs, which, which is fine. You know, people can do really well like that. Um, and it's the same for wholesalers, right? You know, most wholesalers that we all meet, um, they operate as individuals or they might have a virtual assistant that does some side work or does cold calls for them, or maybe they get a partner, maybe they're a husband and wife team or something like that. But most of the time, Pablo, it, it doesn't go much far past that. Right. Um, you know, and to build an, an organization like an organization like this with 14 individuals and to coordinate lots of deals every month, uh, it's, it's challenging for a lot of people. It's really, really tough to do. Um, takes a lot of persistence, takes a lot of long days. Um, but the reason that we're doing it and what drives us to do it this way is because obviously, you know, it's, it would be everyone, every entrepreneur's dream to, to build an organization that can operate itself um, so that you can step back or you can step in and do something else at some point in time and, you know, go to the point of, you know, building multiple streams of income. So what are, you know, I, what what are people doing wrong in this that they're not able to that they're not able to build a an organization underneath them? Like what what have you found is your biggest kind of like differentiation point between the average wholesaler out there or even a realtor out there? Because it sounds like you have the same customer, right? If a realtor could get to a motivated mm-hmm. seller mm-hmm. Uh, before you get to it, then they have a realist. You know, they it's kind of it it. There's definitely some people that want to move it quick, so they want to go to you because you have the money to give them immediately. But then there's going to be a large percentage that a realtor can also be like, "Oh no, I can get you more for this house, right?" So like, what are pe- what are people doing wrong? And scaling a company and employees is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess, I guess if you could give some kind of like secret sauce of of what's what's making your ability to like systemize this stuff um, so successful, like what, it, you know, what would be your, your, your best piece of advice for somebody that's trying to, to, to systemize something like this? Gotcha. I mean, there, there's two key components, I think. Um, one key component is, is consistency, right? It's just every single day showing up no matter what. Um, obviously people can get sick, things happen, but I mean, for the most part, you, you need to show up every day. Um, if you're going to get to the point where you're hiring people, you've always got to be in the office before them. You've always got to lock up after. I mean, you just have to, it's almost like a parent's always there for the kid. The kid wakes up in the morning, parents are going to be there. I mean, you're not, not going to be in the house with, with your four-year-old there, right? You're always going to be there for them. Yep. I mean, it's kind of the same thing with the business. We've always got to be there for our team. Um, you've always got to be a ready advocate for whatever issues or, or concerns or celebrations you know, that they have at any point in time. So it's consistency, um, like nothing else, and also letting go of the vine, right? When we get good at something, we tend to not want to trust other people with it because you don't want them to mess it up. Um, But we've got to get used to, like, especially if you want to scale a company or build a company, you're going to have to get used to um, understanding that not everyone is going to be exactly like you. And, you know, maybe they're going to perform at 60, 70, 80% of what you can perform at. Um, but you got to more so look at it as if you're a hundred percent and they're 70%, you now have 170% production rather than, um, just a hundred percent of less transactions. Um, and I'll take that any day of the week. I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like you're talking about parenting. It like is. How, you know, how does it, is this something, do you apply this in parenting also? Is this something you learn from parenting? Like how does, how, how does that kind of affect? And then how do you balance out 
the fact that you are a very involved dad, but you're also the dad of this like 15 person company too, right? Like how do you, right. how, how do you manage all that, man? Like how do you find the energy so, to, to be there? So it's a, it's a very tough balance. It's one of those things that you, you never stop trying to perfect. It's never going to be perfect, but you've always got to fight for it. Right. And I think one of the things that helps me come to terms with working long hours and putting so much time in is the fact that I am doing it for the family. Right. And that, uh, you know, my wife and I understand the kind of life that we're trying to build and what our monster goals are. So, you know, if I've got to do my, you know, 10 hour days and I've got to work half day, Saturdays, morning, Sundays, once in a while cover, you know, midday evening appointments, whatever it is I've got to do, you know, we're doing for us and for the kids. Yeah. That makes sense. Talk to me about, you know, the first time we met, I'm like, you're this a quiet kind of reserved guy at first. And we're sitting down for breakfast with Kyle. And then I see you be like, Hey, do you guys mind if I do an Instagram story real quick? <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, this guy, <laughs> this guy takes content really seriously. Right. Like at, at what point did you start in, in, in understand, you know, at what point did you in, start incorporating social media and online content into the strategies of what you guys are doing right now? So, um, you know, uh, you know, I've built my first company. When I built my first company, the, the foreclosure maintenance company, I, you know, I, I did, I've never studied under any mentors. I've never read any books. I, I had no social media presence. I kind of, you know, wasn't really into social media at all. You know, my wife was the person that would take the family pics, post it on social media. And I thought that was kind of cool because, you know, she's, she's kind of, creating, you know, she's kind of like documenting our, our history and, you know, our experiences and stuff like that. So I, I thought it was awesome. So, I, you know, in my mind, it's like, she's already doing it. I don't really have to mess around with it at all. But when, uh, when the first company started declining and I started searching for other things, um, it kind of exposed me to everything that's out there, um, that I really didn't have much awareness um, to. And one of the things that, that I've heard as I started exploring and started just studying people and reading books was, um, you know, the more attention you get can automatically affect the amount of income that you get. And over time, if you get a tremendous amount of attention, it's very likely that your income would skyrocket, right? So I'm kind of testing that, you know, for the last couple of years since we met till now, um, you know, I, I've done some education, kind of step back from the real estate education. Uh, still, we still do our show, but we're more focused on the business and actually transacting deals. So we still want to be relevant to the community. Um, and, and we want the, especially the local community to understand that, you know, if we, if we can be in everyone's presence as an authority figure um, so that they can understand, you know, how, uh, how our journey is going. Um, and, you know, if we can help them, obviously that's going to help us all grow. You know, they're, they're going to get to a point where they need help with deals, which has happened a lot. We've probably transacted deals with other wholesalers and realtors and other people. I don't know, probably been 50 of them within the last six months. You know, and if you do the math times the revenue that we talked about earlier, it's decent money just for, and we're all winning, you know, we're, all, we're helping each other out. We're all winning. But it's kind of a, a long-term play, to be honest with you. So it's it's all about, you know, scheduling and forcing myself to, to do an Instagram story, to do a post. And now it's at the point where it's so routine. I, I kind of like it. And, you know, it's helping me like we're all introverts, really, you know, no matter what we tell ourselves, we're all introverts. So it's, it's difficult, right? It's not easy to, to put a phone in front of your face and, and talk to the phone, especially when you're doing it the first time. 
You know, I used to write down, I used to spend, I don't know, 30 minutes writing down a paragraph of what I was going to say, crossing out, fixing a word. And then I'd read it and talk to the phone when I first started doing it. And now, um, and excuse my language, but now I just, I just um, convince myself, you just need to be in fuck it mode yeah. and just talk to the camera and just have a good time and just say what's on your mind. And even if it's messed up, post it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You just got to let it fly, man. And I, you know, it's funny cause I've seen it, man. Like I've seen you go from this like reserve guy to now you guys have your like weekly show where you're just like beatboxing and like hitting the, hitting the table and you start off rapping and you're wearing big sunglasses. And it's like, it's, <laughs> I, I love it, dude. Like I find it like, I think the day that, the day that I was like, Oh my God, I totally underestimated this guy was when you had, <laughs> when you had your, your speak event and you and Gonzalo come out, like you had a fully produced, uh, rap story tell about a deal to kick off the speaking event. I'm like, my God, you guys are animals. Yeah. Tell the story. Well, speak was, speak was a lot of fun, you know? And the funny thing is before all this uh, coronavirus started coming up, we actually planned to do another one. We were talking about doing it quarterly. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the cool thing about speak for, for those of you don't, that don't know what the speak event was that we were doing, it's basically just a, a public speaking event, uh, which is a way to just help us to get on stage, to have fun with the audience, um, speak about different topics, interact with the audience, have other with the audience, have other people come up on stage. And it really didn't have a definition. It was just something fun to do um, to help us really practice our craft of just getting in front of people and, and, you know, extroverting our personalities. Um, so it's the funny thing about that is, you know, it was thrown together probably in 30 minutes you know what I mean? And that was kind of the, the downfall of that. Like speak probably deserved more than just throwing it together. Like we did, you know, every month we, we probably threw it together within an hour before we went up there. But just for that, man, I mean, people loved it, dude. We had consistent people coming back. Um, you know, they, people would just tell us time after time that was their favorite event to, to come to in town. Um, and it just it had a great, just the right atmosphere. You know, um, the atmosphere is so cool that we didn't really even know if we wanted to grow it, even though I really like being a part of anything that I can't just continue to grow. But it was just that kind of perfect atmosphere. You know what I mean? Totally agree, bro. And I think you're I think you're being too hard on yourself and saying that that was the downfall of it because it was such a such an amazing like year full of events. And when you guys came out with that, like you know, Gonzalo playing the piano. Was it, um, <laughs> the guy that works for you guys, what's his name? It's uh, it's like towns. a one towns. Yeah. I knew it's one syllable Ta- towns like doing the, uh, huh, and then you come out like yeah. the, with the, like the fresh Prince storytelling rap about this deal of some right. guy passing out in your, bro. I thought that was another level, man. I thought that was super cool, which brings me to another subject. That I want to talk with you. Hip hop. You grew up in Brooklyn, right? Kind yes. of birthplace of hip hop. Some would say, Yes. What, uh, what do you think about hip hop right now, man? Hip hop is kind of crazy, man. I mean, you know, I always told myself, right. Because, uh, I grew up love, loving hip hop, right. Um, listen to, I mean, that's, that was exclusively what I listened to in my young years. Obviously now I just listen to everything, but I, I never wanted to be older guy that says rap nowadays sucks, but rap. Now- <laughs> um, uh, with that being said, you know, I try to really just give it a chance. And there's a lot of songs that I enjoy. 
Um, but now I kind of understand the people that were older than me back in the days that they just liked Run DMC and Slick Rick and Diamond D and all the older hip hop uh, artists that I was like, ah, they're kind of dry. The new age stuff is better. Um, now it's a totally different era and a totally different age. Um, nothing makes sense. <laughs> I'm that old guy, right? Yeah. Nothing makes sense. Um, but, but I can still, I can still agree with it. I can still agree with it. I think, so I, I fundamentally disagree with you. I just think that there is, I just think there's a lot more hip hop out there now, right? Like there's a little bit of hip hop in everything right now. It's when I saw common do a Microsoft, like artificial intelligence commercial, I'm like, bro, I would have not seen this. Like, I remember having to like look for common CD in the back of like the conscious hip hop section at like my specs record store. But I think there's just so much now that there still is really good stuff. Like I think like the logics of the world and, you know, chance and, 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 and a lot of Kendrick. And I think there's a lot right. of good stuff out there. You just got to look through it because, and I was having this conversation with this guy, Drew Morrissey, who has a, uh, he's like a learn to rap influencer. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how it used to be that it's, it's now this like wide open tournament, right? Like just the record labels would just be like curate everything and you can only listen to this much stuff, but now it's a wide open market. So whatever people want to hear, it's just more relevant to what, what people actually want to hear. And it's young people that are usually the ones that have their ear to it, but you can find mm-hmm. really, really good stuff out there. You just you know, I, I would, I would agree with that. When you, when you mentioned people like, like uh, common sense and Kendrick Lamar, like, I feel like those are people that still from my era that I still appeal with. Yeah. But I guess what I'm more so referring to is people like, you know, Migos or Roddy Rich and yeah. things like that. Like some of the songs I'm cool with. I like a lot, yeah, but yeah. there's just a lot of stuff that I just feel like, yeah, you know, I was, I've always been a picky fan of hip hop. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know that I was a hip hop artist at one point in time in the past. I'm not surprised I, at this point. I used to no, write hip hop. Yeah, I would spend hours and hours every day writing hip hop and perfecting it. I was always really, really picky about the people that I was fans of. Like, I didn't even like Jay-Z in the beginning, which I think everyone kind of liked Jay-Z. And I just, you know, the Reasonable Doubt, um, Jay-Z CD, like I wasn't a fan of it at all. Like I would just change the station when the music came on. Uh, But now I I love everything he does. You know, it's a little bit different. I kind of grew with him over time. I grew a fan of him. But I, I was at the point where I mean, I was maybe maybe like, you know, three or four artists and I thought everyone else was garbage um, just because I was who so the, who picky. Were the three or four? Who were the three or four? So Nas, uh-huh. I was a big fan of Nas. Okay. I was a big fan of Jadakiss. Mm-hmm. Uh, Biggie Smalls, he, he was just, you know, represented Brooklyn and of course. I just in, super enjoyed his stuff. Um, Eminem was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, and then most everyone else I just disliked. I basically, when I used to write and I wasn't the greatest artist, but the, the content of the, of the content that I put to the, the stuff that I wrote was awesome, but the hooks, I was just never a hook kind of a guy. Like I never cared about fancy hooks. And that was the main part of what appealed to the masses Correct. is, is the hooks. Right. Yeah. So um, I was kind of a little bit different in that way, um, which is like, I always appealed to the people that just had super, like every line meant something. Um, every line was important. I was that guy. I wasn't like, you know, the hooks where people sing and the rhythm and the feeling. I wasn't that kind of an artist. Makes sense why Nas is your guy, right? Correct. Yeah, that makes sense. 
That's interesting, man. I did not know that. I did not know that you were into hip. Like, did you ever record an album? Were you like, were you trying to make it your career kind of thing? You know, at one point I recorded some stuff in the studio. Um, you know, we had a, we had a producer backing us. Um, you know, I just wasn't in the right frame of mind. Um, I didn't put my all into it cause I disagreed with a lot of people, even the producer. Um, dude, we recorded a song with us, uh, you know, Slick Rick. Of course, bro. Yeah. yeah we, we recorded a song with, with Slick Rick. Uh, it was really my buddy that recorded the song. And then we did a remix to that song, which, which was awesome, which was awesome. Um, the, the sad thing though, like I don't speak to my buddy anymore. He's got all that stuff. And this isn't a day where YouTube wasn't really a thing. So the stuff is not really, I can't send you a link with that. So I'd have to, I'd have to find it. Dude, I would love to hear that. So one of my all time, yeah. one of my, my favorite Slick Rick song is the, the one he did with, uh, with Big Boy. I don't know if you heard that one. That's like Slick Rick and Outcast. We own this jam. Like, uh, oh I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I forget yeah. that. I forget the name of it, man. But that's good stuff. All right, man. Okay. okay. I, I want to switch. I could. I could talk hip hop with you for the next hour, right? Um, I'm sure. Yeah, dude. And I want to hear more about this for sure. This is amazing. I didn't know. I didn't know any of that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I want to switch kind of like into like the kind of lightning round that 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 I do. But I always kind of start with. Do you remember how we met and what what it was that what it was that drew you to uh, continuing our relationship. Yeah, dude, I remember it like yesterday, man. I remember it was at the coffee shop that you talked about. It was breakfast with Kyle. And I remember, um, you know, I was ordering a coffee and I, I think you ordered a coffee and a breakfast maybe. And, you know, you're like, what do you do? And I was like, what do you do? And then you told me you're a professional networker. Yeah. Right. And I'd never heard of a professional networker. So when I heard that, I immediately thought of opportunity and how many doors that can be opened with that kind of a title. Nobody does it. Um, and I think like when you're in a territory um, where you're creating kind of your, your own territory and, um, you know, it's just, it's just not regulated. It's just open for anything. There's just a world of opportunity. You just have to create it all. Um, and it'll all be available there for you. So my mind started going in like a hundred different directions, dude. I thought it was really impressive. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's the whole category design thing, right? Like if you can, if you create your own category, then you're the, you're the king of it, right? Like, and, and nobody can say that they're better than you if you're just different than everybody. Um, have have you ever heard of the book play bigger? I haven't heard of the book play bigger, but what I just thought of when used to visit these meetups with one of his old mentors and one of his old mentors, just a multi multi-millionaire used to talk about being the category King of something, you know, creating your own category, being the category King, and then your opportunities would just be enormous. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm going to, I'm going to send it to you, man. So these guys, these four dudes have been consulting on category design and being a category King and basically have gone back and looked at all the tech category Kings since like the 2000 era till now and distilled, you know, how you do it by mistake and how you do it deliberately kind of thing. It's super interesting, man. I think, I think wow. you're, you're going to love it, man. Oh, I'd love that. Yeah. Cool. I'm going to send sure. it to you for sure. All right, cool. Now we're really in the lightning round. Pam, 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 pam. You ready? Yeah, let's do it, man. What is your favorite restaurant in your favorite city and what dish do you get there? You know, um, I'm, I'm just old fashioned, dude. You know, I just like an old fashioned steak. So um, we don't go here a ton, but Ruth's Chris here in Jack's Florida, 
Yeah. Uh, specifically, because there's one in Ponte Vedra and there's one downtown Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. But the one in downtown Jacksonville, man, it's just a great experience. Windows are floor to ceiling windows overlooking the river with the Main Street Bridge in the background. Yeah. Um, just like getting a, a cowboy ribeye steak, you know, a Caesar, uh, I'm sorry, a Ruth, Tri- uh, Ruth Chris chopped salad, um, martini uh, with the wife, just me and the wife, no one else. Um, it's just a great experience. Conventional, but that is a really, that's a really cool spot. Like I've, I've never been to a Ruth's Chris with so much, so much character, right? Like that area, that, oh, that place is cool. Yeah, right in downtown. absolutely. What content are you most into right now? Like it could be a, a, a book, it could be somebody that you're following, it could be a podcast, you know, but like what content right now are you like into? I am a volume guy, right? Anything that I that I've done, I've realized that success comes when you deal with what you desire in volumes. So when I did the foreclosure maintenance company, I did volumes of work, you know, work orders. I might've not been the best at the individual work orders, but with volume came success. Um, so I just like, like volume individuals. So Gary V, he talks about just film a crap load of content, you know, clip it, you know, edit it and post it. So I'm a huge fan of Gary V. You know, one of our, our goals here soon would be to have a content creator here in the office, just filming us throughout the day, clipping it, posting it. Um, you know, it's going to bring opportunities. You know, um, the more of a fan base that we get, the more that we can give back to the community, um, the more opportunities it's going to open up with sponsorships. And, you know, it's just it's endless. It's endless. We can we can talk about that forever. Um, yeah, Andy Frisella. Andy Frisella. Dude, man, I'm this stuff a bunch more now. I'm a big fan of, of Andy. Cool, man. Yeah, yeah. I love Gary, dude. Actually, you know, man, you guys have you guys have the capabilities to do it all in-house, man. I got to share with you with Warren and everything like that. I got to share with you my uh, my frameworks of how I'm repurposing content for people. And you guys can probably implement it yourself, man. But it, it, makes, it, it makes it pretty easy. We got to... All right. Duly noted. Uh, next awesome. question. What is something that you were sure about in your 20s that you no longer believe and you've changed your mind about? One thing that just comes to mind is not necessarily related to my 20s, but I I always grew up knowing to not talk to strangers. And I was secluded to like my inner circle for the most part, friends, family, things like that. And I I think not necessarily saying that that's kind of a lie or something that shouldn't be followed up to a certain point. But I I feel like I should have been more exposed to outside relationships way earlier in life. And I should have been push to be made comfortable on developing outside relationships. It's just like the more relate, it's just like I'm a volume guy, right? So the more relationships we have, the more doors that it's going to open, you know, you, you've got this podcast, you give me the opportunity to tell part of my story on it. Um, it can appeal to people. And when I've done other podcasts or Facebook lives or whatever, I'm, I consistently get DMS, this, that. And then at, at some point in time, someone needs help with the deal, right? So they send a deal in my direction. I, transact it for them. We split the profit, just stuff like that. So things are going to come um, from volume at any point in time. Totally agree, dude. Like this lightning round here is basically showing exactly why you and me are such, such, such boys. <laughs> Cause I'm like, I'm the same way for me. It's all talk to as many people as possible, get as much attention as possible, create as many yep. opportunities as possible. Keep going. Yep. What's who's the last person that changed your mind on something? Or like, what did you, what was the last time that you changed your mind on something? Um, Next question. All right, cool. 
What is, I just don't remember changing my mind. You know, I just remember thinking about something and just trying it out. I, I can't think of something specific. Okay, that's fine. What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Or the best piece of advice you'd like to give? You know what? I think a really good piece of advice that I've gotten was um, to take really large action, right? So basically, I've heard that, you know, the reason that companies fail, right, are because they've been reluctant to take really big actions. And they also are reluctant to sell their product for prices that are high enough for their companies to survive. Right. So um, I think it's our job to where if we need to make a certain profit, we need to add more value to the product. Right. Um, You need to just overvalue the product, not oversell it or, or charge higher than what it's worth but just put so much value into it that it makes it a no brainer individual that wants to buy it or invest into it. Right. So you need to take really large actions and sell your products for high enough that makes you successful. I love it, dude. That's huge. So before the last question, I, I just want to open up the floor to say we've, talked about your career. We've talked about who you are. Uh, I I just want to, I want you to promote whatever, you know, your Facebook group or your company, RLA, where, where, where can people find you? Give us where to find your company, you know, like put it out there. Yeah. Super, man. I mean, so, you know, I'm, I'm pretty consistent on Instagram. So if anyone wants to follow me on Instagram, it's real Dom Felix. Um, you can look me up Dominic Felix on Facebook. And if anyone's interested in real estate or wholesaling, you know, we're, we're building a, a community of free information and content. And it's where we do our two day night shows. Um, and it's called the people's wholesalers, right? We do it for the people. There's no charge for it. Uh, it's wide open Q and a every, every Tuesday. So anyone that wants as much information that we're able to give inside of the hour, hour and a half that we're on the show, you know, we're all for it. And, you know, lots of times we, we get direct messages and people reaching out outside of that, which we've always just continued to give as much information as we can. Awesome. And I'm going to link to all of that stuff in the show notes. Uh, I also want to put my stamp of approval on your Tuesday night lives. They're extremely entertaining. Uh, mm-hmm. you guys show up, you're, you're usually having a beer and, 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 uh, and talking some jive. <laughs> so that's right. Like, that's right. It is a good yeah, time. I mean, right? we just want to have a good time, you know? Yeah. So the idea is it's a Tuesday night, it's 9 PM. Um, so let's not take it too serious. Let's have as good a time as we possibly can and just give a tremendous amount of value. I love it, man. I love it. And then the last question is where do you find community? I think it's, it's, it's my job to create my own community. Right. Um, obviously, you know, it's great community in church. It's great community with family. Uh, but I think the best feeling of community is the community that we build. You know, we, we control our surroundings, we control, um, the people that's in our lives. So, I mean, if we want to be the, the best versions of ourselves, um, it's important to interact with people that you're truly fond of, that you look up to, uh, even people that look up to you that aspire to do great things, just incorporate those type of people in your lives um, and your community just will become a great community. Awesome, man. Dom, I want to thank you for being on this, man. I really want to acknowledge you from you know the moment that we've met till now. I have seen you as a guy that's, you're very giving, right? Like everything from showing up for stuff to delivering on whatever you say to, you know, the lives that I'm doing with customers and other things. I always see you on there and, and, and giving back and, you know, the content that you put out, man, I'm just very, very, I've always been 
increasingly impressed by your your kind nature and how much you do for other people, man. So not in the least, the fact that you gave me my first ever paid speaking opportunity, bro, was oh, a huge, yeah. huge thing. And uh, I just want to thank you, man, for the guy that you are, being a good friend, like everything that you do, man. I want to acknowledge you and, and thanks for being on the podcast, man. I'm, oh, I'm, you're welcome. And that, and that was a great time, man, that speaking gig. We had a good time with that. That was fun, man. That was a good time. Yeah. So Awesome, all right. bro. All right, bro. I appreciate it. Cool. Thanks, man. See you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation right there as much as I did. Listen, Connect with Pablo is a content marketing community creation agency. The bottom line is that if you can start creating content that can give value to your customers or audience while creating strategic relationships through it, you can have a content machine that allows you to tell the story of your business through the value you are creating while gathering people together. If you're curious about that or know someone who could be, please shoot me an email at you should at connectwithpablo.com or hit me up on Instagram or LinkedIn through the profiles tagged in the show notes. If you just want a quick pick me up and some tactical advice right before walking into a room full of strangers, go to connectwithpablo.com, watch the five minute video about how to walk into a room and not feel like you're all alone and or download the little cheat sheet on how to do just that. I have a lot of my friends that I've done networking with me for a long time tell me that they love watching that thing and carrying it around when they're walking into a networking event or they're walking into a conference or sometimes even if you're just walking into a wedding and you don't know anybody, right? It has a lot of use for it. I invite you to check it out if you need it. I really hope you stick around, connect with me and start leaning into finding value in others and feeling like you have value to give yourself. It'll make the world a better place. I promise. Until the next episode, I am Pablo Gonzalez, your Chief Executive Connector.